0: joined today by Katie Chambly-Ryan, head of the Civil Rights Corps Project. Katie is leading the case against Orleans Parish District Attorney Van Canazero's office. About a year ago, it surfaced that the district attorney's office was using fake subpoenas to coerce potential witnesses to speak to them on record. And then it was revealed that the DA's office had been holding witnesses, including crime victims in jail cells, prior to their appearance in court. Could you talk a bit about how this got on your radar and um, and sort of how your resp- <laughs> you got involved in this case and, and how it has developed?
1: Absolutely. We learned initially about the use of fake subpoenas when the Lens published an article about it. Um, They discovered it because um, a local attorney, A.J. Ibert, had um, challenged some of the fake subpoenas in court. Um, And essentially one of the first things the district attorney's office started saying is nobody has ever been arrested as a result of fake subpoenas. And I can start by just kind of explaining what these documents actually were. Um, Mm -hmm. So, first of all, the District Attorney's Office was kind of um, capitalizing on confusion about what these documents were used for. They weren't used to get anybody to come to court. There's nothing illegal about using a valid subpoena to get someone to come to court. We understand that that's important. Mm -hmm. We want that to continue, obviously. Um, What these documents were had nothing to do with people coming to court. Um, what they were, were were documents demanding that people come talk to them, come talk to the DAs, and give them information outside of court, in their offices. Mm-hmm. So somebody can be willing to come to court but not necessarily want to talk to a prosecutor. Um, and it also gives the district attorneys an unfair advantage in the criminal process. So the U.S. Supreme Court has said that for, for cases to be fundamentally fair – The prosecution and the defense have to have the same opportunities to develop evidence. One can't have a legal tool that the other doesn't have at their disposal. So um, it it can't be that the district attorneys have an investigative tool that the defense just can't use. So they're basically Mm -hmm. trying to use the fact that they have the power of the state and the power to threaten prosecution and threaten jail to gain advantages in their cases to win cases. Um, And and winning cases could sound like a good thing, and sometimes – It's important for them to win cases when they've got the right person. Um, But that's just not always true. So I I think one of the more insidious parts of this is that when you're putting unfair pressure on witnesses, you increase the likelihood that you're going to arrest the wrong person and be able to prosecute and jail them. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I found this so troubling. Um, What the DA's office did is create these documents whole cloth and made them look as official as they could. So they put the district attorney seal at the top of it. They mm-hmm. even put a little form at the end um, that looks like a form that goes with a real subpoena where you kind of submit a receipt to the court to say that the subpoena was served. Um, of course, they weren't submitting receipts like that because these weren't mm-hmm. real. So they, they weren't, nothing was going to the court, but they made it look as if it were. Um, These documents were actually a template, and it came all the way from the top of the office. We obtained, in a public records request, um, an email from Grayman Martin, who's second-in-command there, ordering all the ADAs to use them exclusively when they wanted to get access to witnesses like this. Um, One thing that's really troubling is that there's actually a legal way to do this. If prosecutors feel it's important that they're able to converse with a particular witness, What they're Mm -hmm. able to do under the Louisiana Code of Criminal Procedure is write an application to the court. They have to put forth reasonable grounds because, of course, I mean, think how irritated people are when they're called to jury duty or when they have to leave their jobs or, you know, rearrange their life to go do something. You know, there has to be some Mm -hmm. reason that they're calling you. They can't just do it to anybody. So, um, you know, once they set forth those reasonable grounds, the judge can issue the subpoena, and then they can call people to come to their office. But they didn't want to do that because they didn't want to be limited to those times when they have a reasonable basis for doing it. And mm-hmm. and this is, you know, of course, my guess at why they're doing it. But they I don't think they want the documents in the court files so that the defense won't know that they've talked to these witnesses before by threatening to jail them. Um, so if it went so, through a
0: judge, that would be available information to the to the defense?
1: Yeah, it would be in the court file. Mm-hmm. Everybody would know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so – it's incredible because the district attorney's office put out a statement after our argument yesterday saying we don't want people to be able to be subpoenaed to come to court. Well, that's not true at all. We're not even taking issue at this point with Article 66, you know, with the ability mm-hmm. to subpoena people to the district attorney's office. We're just saying, look, there's a legal way to do it, and yep. what you're doing is straight illegal. Now, when this first came out, district attorney Leon Canazero, one of the first things he started saying publicly was, Yes, it's true, the documents threaten jail, but we don't really have any power to jail people who don't obey these things. No one's ever been to jail because of one of these. Mm -hmm. Um, So we started investigating whether that was true, and our thought um, on the team was that we might want to look at other cases where there was a lot of pressure on the witnesses because we thought those might be a, a way to find more fake subpoenas. So we started looking at material witness warrants. Um, now, are you familiar with the material witness warrant practice and kind of what the law says you can do, or would it be helpful to explain?
0: I think that would be yeah very helpful to explain yeah.
1: Sure. Okay, so a material witness warrant um, is an arrest warrant, just like a criminal mm-hmm. arrest warrant, but it's not for somebody who's suspected of a crime. You're allowed to use them under Louisiana law when you have reason to believe that the witness won't appear in court, even if they get a subpoena. So it allows you to arrest a witness um, to ensure their presence in court. But that's the sole purpose of it. It's only to make mm-hmm. people come to court. It's not to do um, anything else. It's especially not to gain an investigative advantage by kind of leveraging the fact that they've been arrested, to talk to them, or anything like that.
0: Mm, Now, mm
1: -hmm. we haven't just, you know, I I think that the use of material witness warrants is a disturbing, concerning practice for a lot of people because a lot of times what happens is you've got victims in jail. But in our lawsuit, we don't challenge the use of these warrants overall, even though we are certainly troubled by the fact that this office uses them just so liberally and even in Mm -hmm. minor cases, Um, One of our clients, Renata Singleton, who's our plaintiff, is an incredible example of just how widespread the use of these warrants is in this office. Um, Mm -hmm. She got in a fight with her boyfriend, and her boyfriend smashed her cell phone. She told the DPA's office, you know what? I've got three kids. I've got a job that pays by the hour. I don't want to participate in this. I broke up with my boyfriend. I just want to move on with my life. She never mm-hmm. said she wouldn't come to court if they subpoenaed her. But what she didn't want to do is go down to the district attorney's office and help them build their case. She just didn't think it was necessary. So she ends and up so
0: – They were trying to make a case about that incident or just about a number of charges against her her former partner?
1: About that incident.
0: Where she didn't want to press and charges?
1: No. She just right. didn't want to press charges. Now, he ends up pleading guilty to two misdemeanors. And he's sentenced to no jail time, so he gets an active probation with no jail time. He had a $3,500 bond, and he paid it, and he came to court in his street clothes. Ms. Singleton, who's the victim of this incident, got arrested, not because she wouldn't be a witness in the case, but because she didn't want to talk to the DA. She had gotten <clears> two <throat> fake subpoenas that she hadn't followed. Um, They filed a material witness warrant for her that was just full of misrepresentations and omissions, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, first kind of including that she had gotten the state subpoena to come to the DA's office and wouldn't meet with the DA. So they brought that up, even though, you know, not meeting with the DA has nothing to do with being unwilling to fulfill a legal obligation. They kind of Mm -hmm. suggested in this application that she was avoiding service, even though, you know, she wasn't. They suggested that she'd missed court dates, even though she'd never been validly subpoenaed, ever. Um, and Ms. Singleton was arrested and put in jail. She spent five days there. Her bond was $100,000. This is in a case about a broken cell phone where the defendant's bond is $3,500. Mm-hmm. And when Ms. Singleton came to court, she was in shackles in an orange jumpsuit. So mm-hmm. she got the victim coming into court, chained to other inmates in an orange mm-hmm. jumpsuit and shackles while the defendant walks in from the street, gets sentenced to no jail time. She spent five days. Um, So Mm -hmm. that is the kind of perverse result that that we're seeing. Um, And in reality, knowing that that kind of thing can happen, from the conversations we've had with victims and witnesses, it actually makes New Orleans a lot more dangerous because people are afraid to call the police in the first place.
0: Um, That's something something that I I want to something that I would like to signpost just because, you know, we've been having some conversations this week about it. And we spoke um, uh, on Thursday morning with Miranda Yanta, who's working with Women with a Vision and Southerners on New Ground on the um, Black Women's Bailout Action, is about these sort of myriad ways that, I mean, especially, you know, cash bail, but, you know, we're looking at so many different issues in the way the legal system just really disproportionately affects black women. And, like, so in the way that, like, women particularly are impacted, I mean, so you're just describing – you know, first of all, this person is having their bond set at this ludicrous amount of $100,000. But then also, you know, just the idea that, that this sort of like, that contributes to women's hesitance to even talk about, um, you know, domestic violence situations and talk about things that are going on because of, you know, being already sort of in a difficult bind. I think there's a lot of those elements. I just, because we've just had this conversation, I want to bring that into this conversation today, which is, you know, this is a huge thing.
1: Yeah, well, I think, I think that, um, What I learned from this case is that there's just a disturbing lack of respect for crime victims and witnesses. Now, Mm -hmm. before I worked at Civil Rights Corps, I was a capital defense lawyer. And so a lot of what I had to do, I I did post-conviction appeals. And so part Mm -hmm. of that job is reinvestigating the case. Mm -hmm. And you're working for someone who's unpopular, you know, who's been accused of murder, um, convicted of murder. um, Mm -hmm. And you're digging up information maybe from 20 years back. And so a lot of the training that goes into that work, and really for all defense lawyers, what makes you good at your job is learning how to be sensitive to people's needs. You do a mm-hmm. lot of training on trauma-informed interviewing, um, You know, learning not to re-traumatize someone when you're asking them about events. Um, and so all of that craft comes from the fact that you have to work to gain trust in people you urge mm-hmm. to, or to gain people's trust so that they are willing to talk to you and willing to participate in the case. Um, none of that happens if the only thing you use is the hammer. So, I mean, totally mm-hmm. aside from the illegal conduct in this lawsuit, just as a matter of policy, the breadth of material witness warrant use is troubling because it does seem that, you know, anytime there's even a little trouble contacting a witness instead of sort of working to Build a relationship of trust with those witnesses and with the community. The reaction is put the person in jail. Um, there's very little consideration for what it actually means to put someone in jail. And yeah. you know the defendants in this case um, actually argued in in their briefing that putting a woman in jail who wasn't accused of anything. One of our clients spent eight days in jail with no court appearance. Mm-hmm that there was mm. no reason she needed to come to court because she'd already been arrested and bonds had been set. Um, and so she didn't even need a prompt court appearance. Eight days was nothing. It was fine, um, mm. you know, was, was was the implication of what they were saying. And for people who are poor, yeah, for anyone being in jail is traumatic, but for people who are, who are poor, that is incredibly disruptive.
0: It might be a good time... To, the other thing that I want to just make sure we hit is, like, a little bit of the timeline of the case and sort of where, you know, what the updates are as of this, I mean, I guess as of yesterday, um, and where it's at, and then sort of, like, ways for people to learn more and stay stay apprised, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Um, we filed our lawsuit initially in October of this year,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and our lawsuit has a few different components. So. One thing that we did is we brought claims against the office itself. So in order to do that, um, the law says you have to show that it's the office's fault, um, not that mm-hmm. somebody in it who's a bad actor. It has to actually be the, the responsibility of the office that these illegal things are happening. Mm-hmm. So to do that, it could be that they have a written policy. They say we're going to do this bad thing. Now, with the fake subpoenas, it seems like that's exactly what there was. Um, with things like lying to get material witness warrants and then using the warrants to get investigative interviews instead of what they're really for, which is to make people show up in court, um, things like that, you have to prove by showing that it happens so much that it might as well be a written policy. Um, mm-hmm. You know it's just it's their practice. you'll hear yeah. policy, customer practice. So a lot of our claims are about that because what we're trying to do is is, Um, both get damages for our plaintiffs because of those policies, but also get the office to change the policies that we're saying are illegal. Um, So in addition to that, we sued individual prosecutors who were involved in the cases and are hoping to get accountability, um, you know, for what happened in those cases as well. So that's our lawsuit. What happens after that is the court has to decide if we're entitled to get to discovery. is when you get to meet with the prosecutors, ask them questions, subpoena information, you know, do all those things that, you, that the legal system allows you to do to kind of bring the truth to light. And in order to do that, you kind of have to make a, an initial case, show from the judge the facts you think that you're going to be able to learn and the claims that you're going to bring based on the facts. So the court's going to have to decide now whether we get to move to discovery. And that's what the defendants are trying to stop. So they've asked the court to just dismiss the case now and not let us discover anymore. more. Um, and so right now we're waiting for the court's decision. We just had argument on that on Wednesday, and we'll see what the court has to say. We're, we're hopeful that um, the court's going to allow us to learn more about all of this and bring the truth to light.
0: Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like it would be a good choice on the behalf of the court. Um, So is there sort of a timeline for that, or is that sort of just anybody's guess how long they're going to take to come to that decision? It's anybody's guess.
1: It is a complicated case. We threw a lot at the court, so I certainly wouldn't um, expect the court to, you know, rule in the next week or anything like that. I think um, if if I were in their shoes, I would hope for a little more time than that. But, you know, it's hard to know. It kind of depends on the other demands on their docket and um, some judges are faster and slower than others. Some are just extremely meticulous and careful, and so they take a little longer with opinion. Um, so it, it all just depends.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, great. And, and so I guess, I mean, it's, you already sort of name-dropped the lens as being an important source for, for breaking this story, but are there any other places that you would recommend listeners go if they want to stay apprised of the developments of this case?
1: Well, we've added a lot of content about the case on the Civil Rights Corp. website. There are actually videos of some of our plaintiffs there. You can also learn from um, things published by our co-counsel, the ACLU. They put out mm-hmm. blogs about it, and um, they created the beautiful videos of our plaintiffs telling their stories. I think that's probably the most powerful way to learn about the case. Um, Great.
0: Great. Well, um best of luck uh, as you as you pursue this case um, Katie Shanley Ryan, thank you so much for speaking with us today and uh, and hopefully we can speak to you about this sometime in the future. Thanks
1: so much I love that.
0: Okay, excellent. take care. have a great day.
1: All right bye.